we ask you to bless this evening and our study. We ask you to guide, lead us, and draw us to your information that you want us to know. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Job chapter 15. We're going to be looking at Eliphaz's response to, to Job. Eliphaz is basically going to accuse Job of being evil and a liar, as all these guys have been doing over and over again. He's going to say that the wicked are, are, to, are judged and that the wicked are never happy. They're always in fear of the judgment that's to come. So, Job chapter 15, starting at verse 1. Then answered Eliphaz the Telemite and said, Should a wise man utter vain knowledge and fill his belly with the east wind? Should he reason with unprofitable talk or with speeches wherewith he can do no good? Yea, you cast off fear and restrain prayer before God, for your mouth utters your iniquity, and you choose the tongue of the crafty. Your own mouth condemns you, and not I. Yea, your own lips testify against you. Are you the first man that was born, or were you made before the hills? Have you heard the secrets of God, and do you restrain wisdom to yourself? What know you that we do not know? What understand you that which is not in us? With us are both the gray-headed and the very aged men, much elder than your father. So we're going to stop there. So this is interesting, interesting talk that he's going in. He answers Job, and Job has just been going through this whole section of that we for three chapters of. I'm not, you know, I know that bad things happen to bad, you know, uh, the bad things happen to bad people, that they get judged. He goes, but I have not done wrong. I want to answer, I want to answer God and stand before God. And so Eliphaz said, should a wise man utter vain knowledge? You know, and this is kind of a very interesting thing. And fill his belly with the east wind. He's going, you know, do the wise talk about vain, empty things? And he's t- basically accusing Job of being an empty talker. <laughs> all right, Job, you're saying all these things, but you're not, you know, it's all empty. And what he's basically in one sense saying that, Job, you seem to have knowledge, but you're not applying your knowledge to, to your own self. Because we've shown you, and each time these, these guys talk, Job will come back with them and saying, I know that what you've been saying is true. However, it's not true in my case. And basically, there, Eliphaz is coming back into him. Job, you seem to have some knowledge, but it's empty. You're not applying your knowledge. You're not being wise. And then it says, and, and fill his belly with the east wind. Now, the east wind is something that is very interesting uh, to, to them. And it's generally considered that east winds bring evil and destructive forces. And I looked it up, and apparently even in the northern hemisphere, storms usually are preceded by an easterly wind. And I don't know if that's true or not, but I was reading that, and that's what they say in the history. And I know on the east coast it's definitely true because it comes off the, off the oceans and you get your nor'easters and, and your heavy storms. And for them, the east brought the bad, the bad weather. And, and brought bad, bad tidings. So they got to this place where the east wind is considered bad. All right? And in poetry, we see the same thing being, being brought out. Uh, and in various fiction books, we'll talk about 
no, the east wind. The east wind is not anything that the, the older, older uh, mists and everything would ever look to. They'd look to the north, they'd look to the south, they'd look to the west. But the east wind was not, <laughs> the east was never really brought out. And I don't know why. I tried to do some research and try to figure out why other, and this is what led me into some of our weather patterns coming from the east. And, and I'm going, okay, well, maybe there's something to this whole idea that they brought in that east is bad. Uh, but I don't understand it, but he's saying that the east is bad. <laughs> A lot of them come from from uh, Arizona, from the southeast. You know, so it's still from generally the east. <laughs> so, but anyway, all of that really doesn't matter. But a lot of the things do seem to to talk about the east or nor'easters. Uh, the sailors don't like the east wind that much. Uh, so I don't know about flight because I don't do flights. <laughs> I've never done aviation, but. The, the whole idea of even in history, in the, in the myths and everything, it seems that the east wind has gotten a bad, the east has gotten a bad reputation. And uh, this is what they're talking, and this goes way back to, to their day, talking about the east. You're filling your belly with basically evil and trouble. And so what's he accusing Job of being? You know, you've got a lot of, a lot of evil and trouble in, your, in, your, in, your, in you. Uh, should he reason with unprofitable talk or speeches wherein he can do no good? And so basically he's saying, Job, you've been talking for a long time and there is no value in anything that you've said. Uh, now, I have actually been around people, especially in colleges, where people talk for a long time and say nothing of any value. All right, and this is what he's accusing Job of being. Job, you sound really good. You sound like you know what you're talking about, but what you are talking about has no profit at all. We cannot learn anything from what you have, what you have said. You're sounding wise. You think you're wise. And this is something that we need to be very careful of even in ourselves. When We don't want to be in Eliphaz's position of accusing somebody of not representing things correctly because this is a very dangerous area when we start judging others. Now, one of the great things about the book of Job is that there is a lot of theology in, in, the, in the book of Job that is correct. Wickedness does get, get uh, punished. The wicked are never very happy because they are, just as Eliphaz is going to say at the end of this chapter, they're always worried about losing their wealth, losing their status, having the judgment come their way. But their application of these theologies is not always accurate. All right? And this is where we need to be very careful when we're dealing with people to encourage, to build up, to say this is what God says, but not to criticize where they're at. And this is some, a fine line to walk. <laughs> a fine line to walk that God says this and God's truth is this without accusing them of having crossed a line. And because people stand or fall before God, not us. And this is the way I want to be treated. I want to be treated, you know, as if 
you know, with honor, respect at all times, and I don't want to disrespect individuals. And yet, at the same time, you sometimes have to say, this is what God says. Now, they're applying things the way they understand them. You know, they understand that wickedness gets judged, and, but their application of that is that good gets blessed. And so when Job is losing everything, their attitude is, well, Job, obviously you weren't good because you're, being, you're, you're having all this judgment on you. And they, don't, they haven't got to the place where they realize the rain falls on the just and the unjust and, and bad things do happen to good people. And they're not understanding that at this point. They have a very black and white situation. Bad things happening, bad. You're a bad person. Good things happening, you're a good person. Now, one thing we, we know in our day and age is there are a lot of people who are doing bad things that seem to be doing good, that have lots of wealth, lots of property, lots of status. Now, we know that they're going to be, as, as, he sa- as Eliphaz says, worried about losing that status and all of that. But we do know that eventually they're going to be judged. Judgment will fall on them. But it sure is hard when we first look at them and say, look at all the reward that bad person seems to be getting. Eliphaz and them don't seem to have that <laughs> gradient right now. All they see is, you know, if something good is happening, you must be a good person. And Eliphaz is going to say something totally different to the, at the end, of his, end of his statement, which is one of the things that is very interesting when you read these guys. There's a problem with what they say because they say just like we do and it's just a proof of uh, Solomon's statement there's nothing new under the sun how many times do people say one thing and then in the same breath or the same argument say the exact opposite and not even recognize it that they're saying something different and Eliphaz is going to do that in this in this chapter he goes on to say Yes, you cast off, yea, you cast off fear and restrain prayer before God. Here's something he's doing. He is really judging Job at this place. He goes, Job, you have frustrated off your fears. You, you have ignored the fear of God. And he's saying, and you've restrained prayer before God. He goes, Job, you're not even praying to God right now. Now, we've seen prayers of Job all through, you know, before all the, these guys started coming to him. So I'm not sure where he's coming up with this idea that Job is not praying. Maybe they had this idea that you're supposed to, like the Jewish people and many of them, that you pray three times a day and he hasn't seen him doing, doing the ritual of prayer. I don't know. But his statement here is, Job, you have turned your back on God. You're not talking to him. You're not fearful of him you are turning your back on him. And well, does that work in our day and age? It might be somebody who decides, I'm not going to church anymore. Now, I've said this many times, you, know, you can still be a Christian and not go to church. You're not going to be a strong Christian and not go to church, but you can still be a Christian and not go to church. Yet, most Christians will look at somebody not coming to church and saying, there's something wrong with you. All right, and you're you're not you're not saved. You're not you're not you're not doing anything for God, and that may or may not be true. 
we do need a body around us to be encouraged to move forward and to walk with God. And I've seen it over time. If somebody's not going to church, they usually do not grow with God. Now, now coming to church is not going to be an automatic grow with God, but at least if you have a, a teacher teaching you, you should learn something out of coming to church. And a church does not have to be in a building called a church. It could be a, a fellowship of a group of believers that meets, as long as there's a good teacher within that group. And one of the things I have noted is the problem with a lot of those home Bible studies is it becomes an opinion session. This is what I think it says. This is what I think it says. This is what I think it says. And all these people give their opinions. And that's not necessarily good unless everybody has some really good opinions uh, and have some kind of knowledge. But there needs to be a teacher in that group that says, this is, where, this is what the word says. And we want to be very careful with this idea of opinion because the world likes people to give their opinions. All right? Because everybody's opinions were something in their mindset. But truth is truth, no matter what you think about it. And we want to be careful with that. And it goes, and then it says, verse 5, For your mouth utters your iniquity, and you choose the tongue of the crafty. So what he is telling him is that your tongue teaches your iniquity, utters is, it teaches in this case. So Eliphaz is telling him, Job, you've said a lot of things and everything you have said has just shown us how evil you are. Now, I have not seen anything in Job's statements that show that he's evil, other than the fact that he doesn't acknowledge to them that because bad things are happening to him that he has evil in his heart. And he's going, I know that that bad things happen to bad people. I know that God judges, judges evil, but I do not understand why I am being judged. Eliphaz and the other guys have all gone, well, see, Job, it's, it, there you go. You're, you're proving to us that you have a problem. Bad, really bad things, not even just bad things happen. You know, Job, really bad things are happening to you, so you must be really, really bad and because you're denying it, you're showing us that you are bad. That's their logic. And that's what he's saying here. Your own mouth is telling us how evil you are. And they have already judged. They came and judged him guilty before they even came to him. And their whole purpose now is to prove that he, get him to admit that he's evil. And that's their whole, their whole game plan. Job, you had millions of dollars in our type of, now you have nothing at all and your family's been destroyed. Job, there must be something really wrong in your life. We, we know that there's something wrong in your life and we're going to press you until you admit what, is, what this secret sin of yours is that uh, has brought you down so low so that you can now confess before God and get, get back to where you were supposed to be through repentance. That's their whole attitude. You know, they have convicted him, tried and convicted him before they ever talked to him. And every time he opens his mouth to say, this is not what's happening, they're going, there's the proof. You know, you're speaking the truth, you know, truth of who you are deep in your heart, but you're still rejecting God's judgment. What friends they are. <laughs> what friends they are to, to automatically think this evil of him. And it says, verse 6, your own mouth condemns you 
and not I. Yea, your own lips testify against you. So he's continuing with this whole process and of, you know, Job, you're speaking, you know, and they're having this idea of, Job, you're speaking, therefore you're lying. You know, like the old joke, how do you know so-and-so is lying because their lips are moving? You know, how do you know the, the lawyer's lying because his lips are moving? How do you know the politician's lying because their lips are moving? This is what he's basically telling Job. Job, your lips are moving. We know you're lying. How would you like to try to defend yourself against somebody who automatically thinks you're lying the minute you say something? Because it doesn't matter what you say, they're going to think, yep, they're lying. They're, they're lying about all of this. Then it gets very interesting. He says, are you the first man that was born? Or were you made before the hills? Are you the oldest person out there? You know, you're, you're speaking this wisdom that you're saying is wisdom. You're not the oldest person out there to ever speak. All right? And now they're going to get into this tradition that they're, that they're, they're working on. Uh, they go... Uh, so he's going, are you the oldest? Are you the first person that God created? Are you the first person that God has ever spoken to? Because we're going to tell you what we know. We know from the other people that have told us that when people lose their status that they're being judged. All right? And so this is where they're at. This is, this is our tradition. This is what we know. One of the things that's really hard is God does not get put into a box for us to be able to say, this is how God always works. And the minute you try to put God into a box, he's too big to fit into the box anyway, but even if he could get into the box, he's going to step right out of the box and say, I'm not going to be put into a box. Now, a few things we know. God will never lie. God does not let sin stand in before him. So, I mean, there are some things that we know about God but if we're going to say, this is the way God always does things, we're going to be in trouble. Why? All we got to do is look at what Jesus did. How did Jesus heal people? One time he spoke to them. One time he had them wash. One time he you know, just said, oh, go, go, they're healed. You know, he did all kinds of different ways of healing and talking to people and ministering to people. All through the Old Testament, we see different ways of being ministered, different ways of being delivered from their trials. Why? Because if God did the same thing every single time, we'd be able to go, well, I know exactly how God's going to fix this problem. All I got to do is wait for this to happen, and this is what God's going to do, and all I got to do is this activity, and God will step in. He's going to go, the argument that Eliphaz is making is, you know, Job, who are you to try to argue against what we already know from the older people? Are you older than all the people that, we've, that, are, that we're listening to? All right? Uh, and it's kind of, kind of in, you know, we go, you know, we, it's funny that we have the same thing. Are you older than the hills or I'm older than dirt? Uh, you know, he's going, Job, are you the first person? Are you older than the hills out there? Uh, have you heard the secrets of God and... Do you restrain wisdom to yourself? He goes, have you heard the words of God? Do you know, have you been listening to something secret to just you and God? And so his very statement is, God, you know, he's telling, he's telling Job that, Job, you must think that you have some inside uh, connection with God to be able to say what you're saying. 
And he goes, and are you restraining wisdom to yourself? Are you, do you have some great insight that you're not telling anybody? Now, this is kind of good advice because this is the type of stuff that the cults will build into. We have special knowledge from God. And there's usually one leader that has this special knowledge from God. They have, they have heard secrets from God and they're going to, and if you get to the right level of their relationship, they'll let you know, they'll let you in on some of those secrets. And this is what he's accusing Job of doing. You know, Job, you've got some inside track with God. You know, you're, you know something nobody else knows about. And that's, you know, his accusation, when you really tear Eliphaz's argument down, he is being extremely harsh to Job. Job, you, we know that you're a liar. We know that you're not speaking the truth. And now you're, you know, do you have some special inside knowledge of God? You and God have, are, you're trying to tell us that you and God are so close that you know something nobody else knows. Now, this is a very harsh attack. Uh, and he goes, what know you that we do not know? What do you understand that which is not in us? So he's challenging Job to tell him what he knows. Now, he's already said, Job, it doesn't matter what you say. We're not going to believe you. But now he's telling Job, go ahead and tell us what you know. So he can then turn around and say, well, we knew, we knew that you didn't know anything and that you're still talking empty, empty talk. But he's really basically saying, Job, we're as smart as you are. There's this kind of an interesting statement, because remember we've talked about this. Most people believe that these three were basically taught by Job in the first place. So if, he, if that was true, he does know things that they don't know, probably. Uh, but by the same token, I spent time discipling my children. My children are the only ones that can really ask me questions a lot of times that can stump me because I poured into them for many years. So when they ask me a question, they already know what I teach and what I know. So when they ask a question, it challenge, it's challenging. So they may be under, understanding this. Well, Job, you've taught us everything you know. Do you, are you learning something that we don't know? And the answer we know is, yes, Job is learning something they don't know. They just don't, he doesn't know yet that it's true, and they don't know that it's true. But he's going, you know, what do you know? What do you understand that we don't know? Verse 10 says, with us are both the gray-headed and the very aged men much elder or older than your father. So what are they saying? We have been studying what's been coming down the pike. We know, we know what all the teachers have been teaching. The people we're listening to are even older than your father, Job. So we have been listening to truth. We are tracking back our knowledge. And they might even be thinking we're going back to uh, Noah. We're going back to uh, Eber. We're going back and we're going back all the way back to as far as we can go back, Job. You know, try to tell us what we don't know. We, you know, we're reading the books, we're, we're listening to the teaching, we know, we know all these things in Job, and try to tell us what we don't, you know, that you know something better than we do, because we have studied. We know what is out there. We, we, we are the followers of God just as you are. We've been studying the, the teachings of these, these older, older gentlemen that have been in the, in the faith longer than you are, 
and we're following, I'm going to say the word tradition. We know what they have taught, we know what they believe, and we're following it. And the, so their attack on him is, Job, you know, you're going contrary to everything that is orthodox, everything that is believed. And this can be a dangerous thing. Uh, tradition and orthodoxy is good on one side as long as it's true. But how many times has true, the idea of orthodoxy gotten in the way of walking with God? You know, Galileo was condemned as a heretic because he said that the, the world went around the sun. You know, and they condemned him because their orthodoxy said that the sun went around the earth. And we need to be careful that when we're going to take a hard stand that it is on truth. And we want to be very careful about this, but we also have to take a stand on truth because otherwise we end up being washed around and, and tossed with every wave that comes, up, comes our way. So this is a very interesting statement that he's going, Job, we know what all has been taught for a long, 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 long time. Bad people suffer, good people get rewarded. Job, you're suffering, so you're bad. End of story. We know, we know it's been taught year by year by year, generation by generation. And that's his argument on here. Um, verse 11 says, Are the consolations of God small with you? Is there any secret thing with you? Why does your heart carry you away? And what do your eyes wink at? that you turn your spirit against God and let such words go out of your mouth. What is man that he should be clean and he which is born of a woman that he should be righteous? Behold, he puts no trust in his saints. Yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. How much more the abominations and filthy is man how much more abominable and filthy is man which drinks iniquity like water? I will show you, hear me, and that which I have seen, I will declare. All right, so his argument here is, what constellations or what comfort of God are the constellations of God small with you? Are the comforts of God of little effect with you? He's going, God is going to comfort you. You're not being comforted, so therefore you're not following God. And the challenge of him is, are you, weren't you happy with the blessings that God gave you? This is his accusation. You had all these blessings, and there wasn't enough for you. And it says, is there a secret thing with you? Do you know, do you know again, he's attacking him, does, do you know something that we don't know? Tell us about what it is that, you, that you're knowing, because you're not happy. Verse 12 says, why does your heart carry you away and what do your eyes wink at? You know, your inner emotions, what is it about your inner emotions that are letting you be taken, taken away? And then he says, and what do your eyes wink at? Now, that's quite an interesting statement because I was trying to figure out you know, the idea of winking at something. And so I did a little bit of research on, on the idea of winking. Winking has a picture of flirt, flirtation in the in, in our in our nation. You know, a flirting uh, in in a private joke. You know, idea. But I'm looking at it. I looked at it from the Asian and Middle Eastern mentality, 
And from what I was able to find on them, winking in those cultures is a uh, vulgar uh, thing. You don't wink at somebody because, unless you want to instigate an argument or a fight. Um, and so it was kind of an interesting thing. And I'm trying to, you know, I was trying to think about how that works with everything because even in, in another place, there's another scripture that says God does not wink at sin or accept sin in, a, in it. So I, there is this whole idea of it's a way that he's saying, I don't, I don't see it. I don't, I don't acknowledge it. And I think that's what's being said here actually is, you know, how is it that you are, what, what is it that's going on that you wink at? You're not acknowledging as a issue. Uh, you know, do you know something? Are, are you going to play at this? Uh, and so this got this whole idea of, you know, Job, you're pretending that you're not caring about what God does. And this is his accusation. Job, you're trying to even not consider God. I can picture myself in Job's place at this time. You know, knowing that I've been offering sacrifices, knowing that I have hated evil, just God said that, you, that he's a righteous and perfect man who hates evil. He knows that he is not wanting to do wrong. He knows that he doesn't deserve all of these things, even though he tends to believe like they do that, you know, that when bad things happen, it's because something's wrong. He knows that it's not true in his life, and he can't really defend it because he's struggling himself. He's struggling with what he believes to be true. These guys are arguing what he believes, and he doesn't know how to defend himself with all of this. And you know, how many times has God tried to teach us something different than what we think we know? You know, we think something's true, and then God starts working in our life to show us that we don't fully understand it. So the translation is about the wink, mm -hmm. and a majority of them, their face, um, refer to why do your eyes flash in anger Which would fit the Asian Asian viewpoint of a wink being contemptible? Yeah, why are you being contemptible toward God, or why why are you being ignoring what He said? Why why you? So I mean, any number of things on that one. It's one of those statements that, what exactly are they saying? I'm not sure. <laughs> Take it the way we look at it. Why are you flirting with uh, evil instead of following God? Yeah, and there's all kinds of ways we could be able to look at that. So. Flirting with evil and ignoring God's God's ways. So I mean, there's kind of numbers of ways that that could be looked at. Basically, he's accusing him of ignoring God. Bluntly, uh, you're ignoring God. You're not. You're not. Uh, why? Why is your heart carried away, uh, seized away from God? You know, and, and ultimately, what he's telling him is, Job, you know the truth. You're not acknowledging the truth, and therefore, you're letting yourself be captivated by by lies and you're trying to defend yourself from from it and you put yourself in Job's place as I was saying how do you deal with this you know that you've been offering your sacrifices for what sins you were offering sacrifices for your children just in case they sinned you hate to do evil you your your desire is to follow God and all of a sudden all these bad things are happening to you and you don't understand what you could have done to deserve this kind of treatment and you and the problem is, 
he knows what, they, what has been taught. He knows the traditions of the people that if your bad things are happening, then you have done something wrong to deserve it. And he's struggling with looking, looking at his life and saying, what did I not give the sacrifice for? What is it that I did that's so bad that I lost everything? And these guys are accusing him of, of not being a good person. You know, Job, we know because bad things are happening to you that there is some secret sin in your life and you need to just confess it and get it straightened out so that you can be blessed again. And Job is struggling, and this is why he's saying, every time you open your mouth, Job, you're proving to us that you don't know what you're, that you're not listening to, uh, to the, the teachings that we know to be true. All right? Verse 13, that you turn your spirit against God and let such words go out of your mouth. He goes, you're turning against God. We know We know what God does. We know how he treats evil. We know how he treats good. You're not acknowledging it. You are turning away from God. You're turning away from truth. Is is their accusation. They don't much understand God's mercy and his grace at all. They don't understand that God is teaching Job a very valuable lesson in all of this. He's trying to teach him that, you know, just because you do good does not mean that you're going to be blessed. And just because you're being, having bad things happen to you doesn't mean that you're a bad person. Trying to teach Job a gentler side himself. And, you know, I've said this over and over again. How many times have we learned from God when we think we know something? I've, I've been following God for 50, 50 plus years. And one of the things I learn is every time I think I know something, God shows me that I don't know it very well. This is what's happening in the book of Job. These guys all think they got God all pigeonholed and know everything there is to know about God. And God is saying, all right, let me show you the next level, the the deeper truth in this that you're not fully understanding. And And like I said, I've learned, you know, when I think I understand God's love, God will show me how great his love is beyond what I think it is. When I think I understand grace, he'll show me a deeper level of grace. If I think I understand mercy, he'll show me a deeper level of mercy. And it is hard when you're in the midst of that learning lesson because it's like, okay, I thought I understood this, but God, I am struggling because I don't understand what's going on. And he stretches us into a new level of learning. This is what the whole book of Job is about. God is stretching him beyond what they, what he knows and what he understands and by consequences, the other four that are talking to him are getting stretched. And at the very end of the book, when you've read the end of the book, God says, Job, pray for them because I'm going to destroy them for their lack of understanding. All right? And Job has to pray for them so that they're not judged because of how bad they treated him. And the good news is, Job actually prays for them so that they don't have to go through all the all the terror that he went through and uh, you know I think Job is such a wonderful man in his obedience to God even though he's not understanding what's going on he's willing to keep his faith and trust him when Job is restored then all of a sudden there there's this whole idea of uh, we misrepresented God and then when God takes it very serious if we misrepresent God God takes it very serious that he's been misrepresented. This is why it's very dangerous to be a teacher who is not well-versed in the scriptures because if we misrepresent God, 
God is going to hold us accountable for that misrepresentation. He's got four friends that are misrepresenting God, and God at the very end of the book says, Job, pray for them. Pray for them, because this is going to be you know, some bad news for them. And Job lifts them up and, and, and prays for them. You're saying that Job, really, his stellar character comes through. In the long run. Anybody that had, I have been in contact with that has been through the valley of the shadow of darkness with God, come, goes through with God, comes out so enriched, so empowered mm -hmm. because they have depended on faith. Right, we get two directions we go. We either totally get crushed and broken and eventually get re re restored or we learn that God loves us in spite of it all. And we get a deeper relationship. Yeah, the valley is never Right. It's going to be damaged stuff. Well, again, if it drives us to God, that damage is not done because it drove us to God and God, God brings a great reward out of, that, out of that valley. And a lot of it is to try to drive us to God. But it gives us a different relationship with God. We come out with a totally different different relationship with God. And you know, if we read any of the biographies of the great Christians who, who got their names up and we learn all the ups and downs they had to get to where they were, where they got well known for, those down times are really hard because they're what teach us that our, we are weak. Job had to find out that he was weak in his own self and that he needed the deep relationship with God. Moses had to be broken before he could be used. And Moses went and killed the Egyptian. He was going to be the savior of Israel. And then killed the, killed the Egyptian and found out that the Hebrew people didn't even respect him for doing so. And then, then Pharaoh found out he had to run away. And then when God called him, he's going, oh, I'm a nobody, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to do this again. I've been there, done that, don't want to do it again. And God says, now the time is right because you're, you've been broken and humbled. And we get this deeper relationship with God and God can use us in, in ways that we never would have ever imagined when we were in our pride. And I think that's part of what's going on here. Job is learning lessons. <laughs> and he's going to come out stronger than when he went in. And that is what happens to us when we go through trials. We go, I can handle this trial, and then we get beat up and realize that we can't handle the trial, and then the only way we get out of that trial is by drawing closer to God, and God says, okay, now we're ready to take you to the next, the next level, the next place. And seeing it over and over in my life is, as we go through things, we go, and then God takes us to the next trial, and the next trial, but we, you know, if we'd have known where he was going to take us when we first started, we'd been scared to death because, God, I don't want to take that trial way down there. And I go, you're not ready to take that trial that you're going to take in 30 years because you need to be growing to a place ready to take that trial. And Job is in this place. And his friends are not ready for this trial. Otherwise, God would have done them to them. <laughs> they weren't ready for it. They're going to learn. They're going to learn by their attack of Job that that's that they don't have a real understanding of it. When Job finally comes out of the other side and says, oh, okay, God, I trust you. I now understand that you're not just a vending machine, do good and get, get good back, do bad, get, get bad back. You are God. You can do what you want to do. And so Job is going to learn some very valuable lessons out of this. The 
three, the, the three friends plus one <laughs> are going to learn some valuable things out of this. And the rest of the world, for the, for all, for, for the rest of 4,000 years, is going to learn valuable lessons from what Job went through. All right? Um, so Job's life becomes a great example of how to learn to trust God. And in a very different way than, than they were expecting. Uh, let's see, where did I leave off? <laughs> Uh, verse 14, what is man that he should be clean and he which is born of a woman that he should be righteous? So again, we looked at this just previous. Job had said this very same thing in, in the previous chapter. Mankind cannot be clean before God because we are evil. Here is Eliphaz saying the same thing. Who is man that he can be clean before God? If somebody's been born of a woman, if anybody's been born, how can they be clean? They understand original sin. They understand that people are born sinners. And they're saying, you know, Job, you know, who can be pure and justified before God? Who can be clean and pure, justified before God in their own strength? And this kind of a strange thing because now he's starting to turn this whole thing to what I've always said. Why should anybody ever be blessed with anything? All right. Uh, people will say that. You know, why do bad things happen to good, pe good people? And my question is, why do good things happen to all of us bad people? And that's what he's basically saying here. Job, we're all bad, you know, so why don't you just admit that you have sin in your life and repent of it? Uh, but his presupposition is somehow, I'm pretty good. I don't have these same sins, <laughs> even though he's saying that all people have sin. He goes, I'm being rewarded, I've got good, so somehow I'm better than you are, Job. Just admit your faults. And this is why this is a, such a big problem. And he says, verse 15, a very true statement, Behold, he puts no trust in his saints, yea, heaven, the, yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. So he says, God does not put his trust, his belief in his servants. And heaven itself is not not right. How do we know that that is a true statement? Because Lucifer fell from heaven. Lucifer sinned in all the way up. And when God destroys everything at the end days, he's going to create a new heavens and new earth and start all over again with a pure, clean slate. All right? But he's understanding things that a lot of people don't understand. Even the very heavens had angels rebel against God. And God says, and he's saying, God does not put his trust in his people. And that is a true statement. He uses people to do his work. But he knows one thing about us is that we're probably not going to do it exactly the right way because we have sin in our, sin in our, sin in our life that is going to keep us from being totally obedient. And don't I know that this is true in my life? I don't do things the way, exactly the way it's supposed to be. And here he's making this same statement. God does not say, all right, I know that person's going to be perfect, so I'm going to trust that person to do what needs to be done. God is watching them every step of the way, applying discipline, applying direction, as any good manager does when they get, give something out to somebody. When I was managing places, I would give some job out to somebody, and their deadline was usually a day or two before my deadline was to my bosses because I wanted to look at the work. 
And I, and I would say, okay, it will take me this long to do it if I have to do it. And I would subtract that much time from their deadline. If I needed it by Friday and I could do it in, in an hour, their deadline was you know, Thursday morning or something. That way I could look at it and if it was right, good. If it wasn't, I could fix it. <laughs> All right, because I had the same idea. I wasn't gonna put my full trust in somebody else and have to turn in paperwork or, or, or something that was not correct. And I understand this statement that God does not put his trust in us inferior beings. All right? Um, and this is a true statement and that he's making. And it goes, how much more abominable and filthy is man which drinks iniquity like water? Yeah. God doesn't even, in this case he's talking, God doesn't trust his angels completely. How would he trust man? Yeah, and this is kind of an interesting statement because they're understanding the original sin of man. That many times Christians don't even seem to understand that we are evil in our heart, unfortunately. Which is why God gives us a new heart. So that we can try to do right. The Spirit comes into us and gives us a battle within us that says, all right, here's what I want to do. Here's what God wants me to do, and now I have to make a choice. And it's hard. You know, Paul said it so clearly, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I, wanted, that I, that I want to do. Oh, woe is me. <laughs> and we all know that kind of push and pull in our life where, all right, I know that I should be doing this. Why am I doing it, doing something that's not what I'm supposed to do? I know I'm not supposed to do this, and yet I find myself way over here doing, the, doing these things that I'm not supposed to do. And we struggle with that whole process. And he says all of this is that we are filthy. We have all of this sin in us. We have this injustice, this, this move toward violence. And he says, which drinks iniquity like water. Now, when I hear this kind of statement from him, I'm wondering what kind of man Eliphaz was in the first place. You know, he's looking at, you know, you know, you're drinking it, you're drinking in all this bad like water. And I'm going, okay, Eliphaz, where are you at with this? <laughs> you're accusing Job of this because Job's lost everything, so in his mind, Job is evil and, and terrible. But usually what we have learned over the years of studying is people attack what they are. You know, liars think that everybody lies, so they'll say that everybody's a liar. You know, or somebody who's a fornicator will go, well, I know that everybody acts this way or at least thinks about doing it. And when he starts making these kind of accusations that, he, you know, that, that people drink in iniquity like water, I'm wondering how he spent his life. Now, is he always wanting to do evil? May not do it, but his mind is on it. Uh, and now he's you know, projecting that on, on Job, except now Job is not just wanting to do it, you know, thinking about it, he's doing it because he's, he's so judged. Just my thought process on it, because I know, know how people act and, and work, goes, I will show you and hear me and that which I have seen, I will declare. He goes, I am going to tell you what I have watched, what I have seen, what I know people to do. 
So this is his, his argument going forward. Verse 18, which wise men have told from their fathers and have not heard hid it? Unto whom alone the earth was given, and no stranger passed among them. The wicked man travaileth in pain all his days, and the number of his years is hidden to the oppressor. A dreadful sound is in his ears, and prosperity to the destroyer shall come upon him. He believes not that he shall return out of the darkness, and he wait, and he is waited for of the sword. He wanders abroad for bread, saying, Where is it? He knows that the day of darkness is already at hand. Trouble and anguish shall make him afraid, and they shall prevail against him as a king ready for battle. For he stretches out his hand against God and strengthens himself against the Almighty. He runs upon himself, upon him, even on his neck, upon the, the thick bosses of his buckler. Because he covers his face with his fatness and makes the collops of fat on his flanks. He that dwells in desolate cities and in houses which no man inhabiteth, which are ready to become heaps. He is not, he shall not be rich, neither shall his substance continue, neither shall he prolong the perfection where, where thereof upon the earth. He shall not depart out of the darkness, the flames shall dry up his branches, and by the breath of his mouth shall he, he go away. Let not him that is deceived trust in vanity, for vanity shall be his recompense. It shall be accomplished before his time, and his branch shall not be green. He shall shake off the unripe grapes as, as the vine, and shall cast off the flower as the olive. For the congregation of the hypocrites shall be desolate, the fire shall consume the tabernacle of, of bribery. They conceive mischief and bring forth vanity, and their belly prepares deceit. This is a long-winded way of saying that you get what you deserve. And we're going to cover a little bit of this. He goes, wise men have told from their fathers and have not hid it. He goes, so he's again, he's going back to all the way back. This is what they say. All right. This is what tradition, this is what orthodoxy is telling us. Unto whom alone the earth was given and no stranger passed among them. The wicked travail with pain all his days, and the number of his years is hidden to the oppressor. So we go, and this is the knowledge from way, way back. It has not been hidden. He goes, the wicked are tortured, literally, in pain all of his days. Now, this is something that most people don't understand is, we look at people that may be doing things wrong and, and, and looking to get wealthy and everything, and we're going, wow, they've got everything. They've got the big house. They've got, they've got power. They've got prestige. They've got, they've got all kinds of stuff, all right? And I've said this many times. You know, we think that they've got everything. They, you know, David even said, why do, the, why, do they, you know, why do all these bad people get their rewards? But you know, in the long run, they are under torture and fear and concerns. How do we know that? Well, how many of these people that are wealthy and rich and everything end up in rehab centers for drug use and alcohol or commit suicide? And if you get to know any of them, you'll find out most of them are not very happy. Because wealth does not bring happiness. It can buy you all kinds of toys and, and stuff that can make you temporarily happy, 
but it doesn't make you happy in the long run. And then the wealthier you are, the more you distrust people trying to be your friends because now you're wondering, are they really my friend or are they just wanting what they can get from me because of my wealth? You know, if you're famous, you're always wondering, does everybody just want to hang on me because I'm famous or do they really want to be my friends? And you're always worried about how fast the fame will disappear. You know, you're famous this day, you know, you're the great athlete, you're on top of the world, and then, you're, and then you get a major injury and nobody knows who you are two years later. You know, they'll, they'll talk about you the year that you're missing, and after that it's like, who are you talking about? Oh yeah, I kind of remember that they did something special a few years back. Or you're a singer and all of a sudden your, your voice goes out through cancer or some other disease and, or somebody better comes along and, and puts you out of, your, out of your position. Or you're one of those wonderful one-hit wonders that are, you know, you have one, one hit, you're on top of the world for half a, half, a, half a year and then nobody knows who you are. This is what he's talking about. You know, all this fame does not last. And those that are, that are wicked are tortured by the idea that this is going to end. How long will it last? The, the days of your years are, are numbered and you don't know what they are. Uh, a dreadful sound is in your ears and in prosperity the destroyer shall come upon you. So this is his direct attack on Job. Job, you were prosperous. <laughs> he finally got what you deserved. The destroyer has finally come and taken away all of yours, all of what you thought you were because you were wicked and, and this is what's going on. He goes, he believes not that he shall return out of the darkness, and, he's, and he is waited for of the sword. He's waiting for that day when things are going to happen, that somebody is going to, somebody or something is going to take him out. All right? Uh, many of these people who have gained their, their wealth, and I've seen this even in the business world, somebody climbs up the corporate ladder to be on top, tearing down everybody and, and ripping them apart, they get to the top and they're always worried that somebody is going to do the same thing to them that they did to get there. Besides the fact that they usually don't deserve it in the first place and they end up falling because they are totally incompetent. Because they took everybody else's benefit and took the praise for what they've done. And I've seen this happen more than, more than one time in the, in the world. And it says that they're, they're worried about that day of recompense coming their way. Um, he wanders abroad, abroad in, for bread, saying, where is it? And knows the day of darkness is already at hand. Usually people know that bad things are coming, that it's going to happen to them. And they may not fully understand it, but they know that there is a day that they're going to pay the piper. You know, uh, you know, there's always that time. Okay. I've done a lot of bad things. When am I going? It seems to be internal in us. It doesn't seem to even need to be taught to us that there is a day of reckoning coming for doing evil. And yet, because we're evil in our hearts, oftentimes we'll do the evil anyway. You know, a dog-eat-dog -dog world, I've got to be the one, and then somebody stronger come, to, come along and knock me down. And I'm just waiting for that stronger person, but until then, I'm going to take as much as I can and hope that I don't lose everything when I get knocked down. And this is where he's at. They understand that the day is, the darkness is at hand. It is coming. And 
sometimes I wonder as I watch how people can be so evil, do they not really realize that the bad is going to happen or they're just deceived? Satan is deceived. He knows that there's going to be a day of reckoning when he's going to stand before God and be condemned and, and cast into hell. God says he's going to bow down before him and admit that he's Lord, and Satan fights hard against that, hoping against all hope that somehow he's going to not have God's word come true. I don't know how he can be that deceived, but you know, he is that deceived. Trouble and anguish shall make him afraid. They shall prevail against him as a king that is ready for battle. I don't know how many of you have ever talked to, some, talked to somebody who is pretty high up or very large. I've done it about two times to people where I've gotten to be known fairly well. And they do have a lot of fear and trembling. A lot of concern that, some, that they're eventually going to have to pay a price lose everything. And because their hope is in what they have instead of God, that's a huge fear. Now, if I'm putting all my trust in my money and all of a sudden the entire economy falls apart and I have no money, I have nothing to hold on to. And there are people that have that. There are people that, have, that are famous and going, Everything about my life has been to be famous, and once I lose that fame, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Because all I've wanted to do is be famous. People trying to become a great athlete. Everything is about that, that, that sport. And the day, they know there will be a day when they can't play that sport. And maybe they hope to get into being a commentator or something, you know, so they can stay in that sport. But they know a day of reckoning is coming and that there's going to be a battle and this man and Eliphaz is saying it's like the king who's going to attack you not might attack you but there is a day when it will happen and this is what he's going going forward on it he says for he stretches out his hand against God and strengthens himself against the Almighty those that will not humble themselves one of the greatest things I know about God, because I can agree with Paul, I've learned to trust God in much and with, be content with much and with, with little. Why? Because God's in charge. My hope is in God, not what I have. Now, would I like to have more? Yes, I'd love to have more. I would love to be able to quit my other job and just be a pastor. That would be a wonderful experience. God has me in my other job for some reason. Maybe it's just to teach me to be patient. I don't know. But my hope is not in anything else other than God. Their hope is not in God. They're actively moving against him. And then he goes, he runs him even on his neck with the thick bosses of his buckler. Now, I'm sure everybody knows exactly what thick bosses of a buckler means. But the thick bosses of a buckler, if you've seen the shields with the with a bow that comes out, with, usually with some kind of uh, point or something, that bowed part that con convex out is called the boss. So he's going, they've got a thick, thick part of their shield. Okay? And they're putting this shield out in front of them, trying to keep God out of their life. Now, I don't understand, I don't understand when people try to go against God. I don't understand sometimes when I try to go against God because I know that I can't go against him and yet 
you know, we'll try to do things that are silly, like somehow we're going to win this battle against God. Now, the world is even worse. You know, we as Christians, we can realize that we're going to lose in the long run, probably. <laughs> you know, even though we go the wrong direction, oftentimes we get caught up real quick saying, well, that was a really dumb thing to, thing to do. But the world does not stop. They seem to think somehow I can do whatever I want. No, even though God says not to, I'm going to get away with doing it my way. I am going to get away by doing it my way and nothing is going to stop me from doing it my way. And we do so much our way rather than God's way. And he goes, he shall not be rich, neither shall hide, neither shall his substance continue, neither shall he prolong the perfection thereof upon the earth. In other words, you're going to lose everything that you have. This is aimed directly at Job. Job, you had all this treasure, you had all this wealth, and because you were evil somewhere and we don't know where it was, you got your, you got your comeuppance. You lost everything. And this is great advice because this is good for us to understand. When we look at somebody who appears to be evil and, they, and everything seems to be going their way, there is going to be a time when they will pay the price. Usually in this lifetime. I have seen it over and over where this lifetime they usually will have it happen. And this is exactly what he's going to say. He shall not depart out of the darkness. The flame shall dry up and by the breath of his mouth shall go away. Let him that is deceived trust in vanity for vanity shall be his recompense. You're wanting, you're wanting to trust empty things? Empty things shall be what they get. And the fear of losing everything, the fear of not trust. And because I'm not focused on God, again, the more we focus on God, the more we have something to fall back on. If, if our whole world, the rug is pulled out from under us like Job's was, we can say, okay, God, I trust in you. I don't really understand what's going on, but I trust in you. I've seen it and heard it very many times when somebody's lost everything in a fire, and they look around and say, well, at least the family's okay. We lost, we lost, the, we lost everything we own. We're going to trust God. Maybe you lost everything like Job. You, you know, the fire took your house and your, and your family. And you're going, God, I'm going to trust you because you're my trust. Right? Job's not fully there to trust God yet, but he's still focused on God. Even though his friends are accusing him of not being there. He shall shake off his unripe grape as the vine and shall cast off the flower as the olive for the congregation of hypocrites shall, shall be desolate. The fire shall consume the tabernacle of bribery. So here again is saying the same thing. You eventually lose everything. And the good news for us is when we finally shake off this world, we actually get a benefit because we get our glorified body and we stand before God. The world, what do they hope? Well, God, I'm losing everything that I thought I had. Now I stand before you and I get condemned and go to hell. It's not going to be a pretty picture for those who aren't trusting in God. And he's saying here that all that stuff is going to be shaken. Oftentimes I do believe that those who are putting their trust in anything but God will have at least one or two times in their life that God is going to shake their life and saying, your stuff is not worth it. You need to, you need to turn to me. You need to come to me. 
And we've seen this over the years, some of the famous people that have had their life shaken and turned to God and become very famous, you know, and following God, and then some that have lost their life because of their rejection of God and still don't have anything. And this is what he's saying. He says, they conceive mischief and bring forth vanity, and their belly prepares deceit. There is a point where somebody will reject God enough times that God just says, okay, you get to go into your deeper and deeper sin. And this is something that is interesting, even for us as Christians. If we refuse to listen to God, sometimes he will give enough rope for us to hang ourselves and say, okay, you don't want to listen? Let's just get things worse. And it keeps getting worse and worse and worse until we, especially for us as Christians, until we turn and repent and God takes us out of the trouble. And been there, done that myself, where I just keep going against what I know that I'm supposed to do and trusting God. And he says, okay, let's just let it, keep letting it go your way. Where are we with God? Are we really ready to repent? God does the same thing because the, the laws of reaping and sowing are out there. Most of this isn't even God stepping in. He says, you're sowing bad seeds, bad, you're going to reap bad. And this is what these guys have been talking about. You know, sowing bad seed and reaping bad seed. They're not understanding that Job was not sowing bad seed. But in their mind, they're going, you reaped a bunch of bad, so you must have sown a whole bunch of bad seed. They don't understand that God is teaching a lesson here. And they're in judgment against Job. God treats judgment extreme with us. You know, there is scriptures that teach us that if you want to judge somebody, then God's going to bring that judgment upon you as well. So we need to be careful. This is why grace and mercy is so important for us to deal with one another. To say, not sure what's going on in your life, but I'm going to show you God's love. We're going to draw you back to God. We're going to bring you back into fellowship regardless of what we think has happened. And are you ready to follow God? Now, I know that that's hard to do. It is real hard to treat somebody kindly when everything they're doing seems to be the wrong, wrong, wrong thing. All the results of their life, because we all do the same thing. When things are going wrong in our own life, when things are going wrong in somebody else's life, we like to try to figure out, all right, what did I do wrong and what did they do wrong? There must be some reason that they're getting all these bad things happening to them, and we do the same thing that Job's friends do. Now, maybe we're smart enough not to attack the person who's going through it, but that's not always the way we do things. <laughs> we, we can be as bad as Job's friends with, with people frequently. You know, and how often do we do that to ourselves? When everything bad is going on in our life, we start really condemning ourselves. I must have done something really bad for all these bad things to happen. And I've said, you know, the first thing we need to do is look at our life and say, have I been actively choosing to sin? If not, then, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me? What do I need to learn from all of this? And if it is true that I've done something, then I need to repent and then endure the, the consequences of my sin. Otherwise, I need to sit back and say, God, what are you trying to teach? What am I needing to learn from all of this? Help me learn. And Job's friends aren't there. Job isn't there yet because Job is still struggling with this idea of, you know, somehow I must have done something that I can't figure out, but I know I didn't do anything, so I really don't know why all this is happening. 
and his friends are not helping him. They're not lifting him up. They're not encouraging him. You know, remember, we look back and Job says, you guys are terrible counselors. You should just be here crying with me, not condemning me. And sometimes that's all we can do. Cry with somebody who's suffering and just encourage them that God still loves them and God cares for them. And we're not seeing that from his friends in this at all. They're not, they're not coming in and saying, you know, Job, we're just going to cry with you. We're going we're gonna to wait to see what God's going to do. God still loves you. And the problem with most of us as human beings, we have a work-based attitude about everything. You know, even our love tends to be you know, work-based. As long as you're nice to me, I'll love you. As soon as you're not nice to me, I'm not going to love you anymore. Almost everything we do has this work-based attitude to it, performance-based attitude to it. As long as I get something that I want out of the relationship, I will be nice and good and kind to you. But as soon as I'm not getting anything out of it, I'll either totally abandon you or I will attack you. We need to be very careful about that. I love the fact that God loves us. He loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us so that he would pay our debt. And all we have to do to get God's acceptance is to accept the debt that God already paid. You know, the, the, the payment for the, what he already paid. And when we reject that payment, then God's going to say at the very end, well, you rejected it, you get what you wanted. You rejected it. I still love you, but I, you rejected the payment. His attitude toward us is always just come to me. And if we reject coming to him, he'll say, okay, you're getting what you asked for. When people go to hell, it's not because they're being judged, it's because they chose to reject God's gift. And God will say, you rejected it, this is, this is your reward for rejecting my gift. Job is not there yet. His friends definitely aren't there yet. They don't understand that God is not a performance-based God, that he's a God of grace. Noah found grace. Abraham's going to find grace. Now, they're, they're not recognizing Abraham yet, but Abraham finds grace. Noah found grace. Adam and Eve technically found grace. They were not totally wiped out when they, when they ate the fruit. God sacrificed for them and said, here's a picture of what's coming, the grace that's going to keep you. We need to fully understand grace, and I don't think any of us fully understand grace. I don't fully understand grace, and I love grace, and I, and I like to think about grace, but I don't fully understand God's grace. And I don't think I ever will. You know, because God's grace is so much deeper than anything that we can comprehend. These guys definitely don't understand grace. <laughs> Lord, we ask you to bless us. Lord, teach us to understand your grace. Teach us to be merciful to people that that we don't understand why they're going through what they are going through and help us to just love people and lift them up. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says, the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, 
But God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.